Hello everybody, it's Gary Stuckey with Real Music. On today's show, I've got a talented guy, musician Malcolm Bruce. He's the son of the late great bassist for Cream, Jack Bruce. He's here talking about a special project called Heavenly Cream, an acoustic tribute to Cream that's going to be released on November 3rd in a very cool album indeed. You need to check it out when it comes out. I've been listening to it. Got some great artists on there like Ginger Baker, the late great drummer for Cream. Also Pete Brown, songwriter for those guys. He passed away recently. And of course, Bernie Marsden, who just passed away, of White Snake is on there. You've got uh, Joe Bonamassa and Deborah Bonham on there and Paul Rogers. So very talented group of people. So many others uh, that you need to check out. Uh, the great songs, covers of Sunshine of Your Love and Badge, songs like that. And Malcolm, what a cool guy to talk to. I had a great time. We could have chatted all day about different subjects, uh, but I really enjoyed it. So here we go. Here he is. Here's Malcolm Bruce. Gary. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, thanks. How are you? Good. Not, not too shabby. <laughs> so you're in, you're in Alabama, man. But, yeah. That part but, of the world. I've been through that few times on my travels so cool awesome yeah. yeah uh what what's the weather like where you're at today well uh actually it's like 25 degrees so unseasonably warm uh for this time of year normally it's like you know getting into the fall by this time or as we called it the autumn um right. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is like the leaves are starting to turn, but it's just a beautiful, it's been a beautiful day today. I've been out walking. I try and awesome. walk like five miles a day or something like that. So oh, I, just... I need to, but I don't. <laughs> we all need to, man. We all need to. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of chilly here in Alabama, which is, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different world, you know, whenever it's kind of cool this time of year, uh, but it gets really hard, right? Yes, summer, yeah, sure. So, uh, so what's been going on with you? I, I know you're excited about the uh, the new album coming out. I guess we'll get started. Yeah, um, sure. Um, yeah, brand new album, Heavenly Cream. I like the name. I like the sound of that. Uh, an acoustic tribute to Cream. Uh, now, how did y'all decide? When did y'all decide to do this project? You know. When did y'all decide to get it started? Well, it really it really came from Pete Brown, the cream lyricist, um, who passed away a few months ago. Um, so back in, I guess it was 2017, he was talking to um, uh, Mike Carden, who's the A and R at Quarter Valley Records. But they'd had a they had a long relationship going back decades. I think they'd known each other and done various different things together. Um, I think Mike was at Eagle Rock at one point. You know, he has a long history in the business. So so they were talking about um, Pete uh, and his writing partner, uh, Mark Waters, had already made a documentary about Pete's life, which actually hasn't come out yet. And that has like my dad and Eric Clapton and Martin Scorsese and loads of people kind of being interviewed in this documentary, all the people that had known Pete Brown. Um, so he was talking about that. And then I guess the idea for this came up, like, let's make, what about if we made a a, a record sort of honoring the Cream legacy, but doing acoustic versions rather than rock, like full out band versions. So um, so they 
so Pete was really the the instigator. He's the guy that kind of started it off, and then he brought it to the rest of us. He he talked to me about it. He talked to Rob Cass, who was the producer on the record, and Mark Waters, who I mentioned, who ended up um, directing and editing the, I guess, fly on the wall, the the making of documentary or whatever it's called. Uh, anyway, that's called uh, the Cream Acoustic Sessions, and I think that's coming out at the same time. So yeah, it's oh. all down to Pete Brown. Wow. So he's the one that got everybody uh, together. So what about deciding who's going to be playing on the album? How did that come to be? Well, yeah, I mean, Pete came to us and then sort of collectively we started um, reaching out to people and seeing who we might get. And um, so Rob Cass, the producer, had had a long a long time relationship with Bernie Marsden from Whitesnake. He'd produced a bunch of Bernie's solo records, but he'd also been the singer in Bernie's band. I think it's Alaska. But anyway, one of Bernie's bands over the years. And then Robert moved more into production. So he, and actually my dad's last record, uh, Silver Rails, but Rob also produced that and he brought Bernie in to play on that. So he, so we immediately approached Bernie because he's, well, he's just passed away as well. So, but Bernie was such a wonderful guy, um, just a really nice, positive person and super talented. And um, so we approached him. He immediately agreed to do it. And then his friendship with with Joe Bonamassa made it much easier for us to approach Joe and for Joe to agree to do it. Um, I think Joe agreed to do it on the proviso that he had a photograph with with Ginger. <laughs> <laughs> Like Joe doesn't do have to do anything he doesn't want to do, obviously, at this point, you know, but I think he had um, he'd done a show with my dad and he'd also played with Eric. So I think he wanted to sort of round it off by doing something with Ginger because Cream was one of the bands that he liked growing up and influenced him. So that was easy. And then, yeah, we just sort of started contacting, you know, Neil Murray, the bass player from Whitesnake. He came on board because of Bernie and. And Pete really wanted um, Bobby Rush, so we contacted him and he agreed to do it. Um, and Paul Rogers agreed to do it. So, you know, Deborah Bonham, we all knew. She's lovely and an amazing talent. So, um, so yeah, we just kind of, you know, these the nature of these things, it takes a little while. See who's see who's going to say, no, I'm not interested in that. It's no, I'm too busy, you know, or I'm too <laughs> famous. No, sure. don't, how dare you ask me? No, all that they're right. How dare you? They're right. <laughs> Who wants to play on this album? Yeah, yeah. Right. Just, Just everybody. A yeah, a bit of a process. But I think we did pretty good. I think we, you know, we got some really nice people together and everybody involved in it was there for the right reasons. You know, they gave, they gave the right energy to the project, I think. Awesome. Uh, what was the the atmosphere like and the mood like when recording this? I mean, you've got all these great people and uh you know and of course i guess ginger baker his last recording i'm guessing right so yeah how that what was that like just you know being there and especially looking back now that a lot of these people have passed away i mean when you just talk about it you know they're not here anymore looking back how yes. special is that well i think it i think it was special anyway uh for a number of reasons you know if you get in the abbey road for, for instance you know that's the first thing it's a, a very special place with all that history and you know the few times i've gone in and done various different projects there it's always always that kind of holy feeling you know it's a, a sort of sacred feeling because you're in this place and you're you're aware of the history but it's also a very kind of 
practical place it's it's laid out in an incredible way that just makes everything very productive and everyone you know it, you don't waste time in a situation like that you kind of get on with it but it's also just a great everybody involved was very positive so so yeah i mean it it was a special experience with all of those people i mean being in the studio with ginger was amazing but i i think you're right like uh, certainly looking back on it now i mean peewee ellis who um was james brown's sax player and he had was living in the uk with his wife um but had also been in ginger's band for many years as well so so you know it was interesting like getting people together that already knew each other um and now looking back on it these people aren't here anymore so yeah i mean in a sense it's like a a document of these people and their talent and capturing them at the end of the end of the road for them but it didn't really feel like that. Um, and the performances weren't like that. You know, they, everything was just wonderful. It wasn't, there was nothing weak about it, you know? And I, I mean, Ginger was, Ginger's health wasn't great, but but he played beautifully. So, you know, we were really, I guess we were all honored and proud to be there with him. And he was still Ginger Baker, of course. He was still, I, I mean, I knew Ginger for a lot over the years, but I didn't, I wasn't super close with him, but I experienced the really friendly side to Ginger. And then I'd experienced the kind of gruff, you know, fairly insulting side to Ginger, you know. Like, like it's just, you know, the myth that he was the man and the myth, you know, in that sense, I guess, you know, there's it's a little kind of uh, mythology surrounding him as part of the the rock history that we all share. So, so yeah, sure. it was fun. I imagine it was pretty fun. Now you play, uh, I know you play all instruments, right? So, but you play well, mainly, well, you play mainly piano on this, right? Mainly. I played some, ba quite a lot of bass, um, bass, piano, and I think guitar on one or two songs. Um, so yeah, I mean, those are the three instruments I sing and I play, uh, those three instruments. That's kind of what I do. I mean, I could play a very, bad drum part if somebody needed it and <laughs> i did i did learn the violin for like seven years but i wouldn't claim to be a violinist you know but if you wanted some dodgy like long note in in the background then i could probably do that awesome. <laughs> that's cool eh? the recorder i can play the recorder I mean, anyone sure. can play the recorder <laughs> there's all kinds of instruments you never know till you try you know you gotta try oh uh, yeah well, that that had to be a lot of fun uh, recording and everything. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, the "Sunshine of Your Love" uh, that that's the first single, right, from uh, the album? Was that yes? That's just come out um, a week or so ago, um, and that's uh, featuring Joe Bonamassa singing and um, playing guitar, Bernie Marsden playing guitar, Neil Murray on bass, me on piano, Ginger on drums, and Abbas Dodu um, on percussion who is a Ghanaian friend of ours um, and friend of Ginger's, uh, as they call them, master drummer. And he absolutely is. He's one of the greats. So, um, so yeah, it was a nice lineup um, for that song. But, you know, it's quite diverse, as you've seen, you know, that each song tends to have a, a quite a different lineup. Sure. And it sounds great, you know, and, and I love the acoustic uh, versions 
and the guitar there's like a raw feeling but it's also it sounds like you're having fun it just sounds like a bunch of friends sitting around jamming i guess is basically what it was anyway yeah. but it yeah it brings a lot of fun and excitement uh to the songs you know so i know yeah you, you, you got to capture that you got to capture that spontaneity i think with this music um because that's you know in a way that's what the original guys did you know it was um they were making it up and feeling it out um and there has to be a kind of looseness to it to some degree i think it's music it's this kind of music you don't want to be too uptight about it all um you got to you got to have some feel in there you know hey you're from alabama you know what i mean hey man you know, <laughs> of course yeah I, I was i was looking uh, though you're talking about all the people on there you know like deborah bonham I've talked to her before and uh, her husband and, uh, you know, just yeah, a lot of talent, a lot of history in that name. And then your name. I mean, there's so many people that have covered so much ground and, and they're all sitting together jamming, you know, and it brings so much to the sound, especially like when you're reading off a list and you're going, oh, okay. And you're remembering all the places they've been and all the people they've touched in their life. You know, music is a, has a way of just making people feel better. But uh, with the, with the history of all these people, I mean, I know that had to make you smile just thinking about all, you know, all their stories and things that they've done in their life. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I think it's, um, you know, music's it's, it's tradition, right? There is tradition in music and it's a really beautiful thing that we all share. And, you know, I'm blessed. I'm lucky who my father was in that sense that, I'm part of something, but, and I guess everybody that came to those sessions, they, we all have our own uh, desires, our own path, our own creative path, which is perhaps something different, right? And then we come together and we can share that history. We can share the fact that Deborah's brother was in Zeppelin and my dad was in Cream and, and here's this guy and here's that guy and whatever. I mean, Maggie Bell, you know, it was incredible to have her. I mean, her history is amazing so yeah we all shared that and i think that's hopefully that comes across on on the recording somehow um but then we all we're all going off and like trying to do other stuff too so it's interesting yeah yeah it really i like uh i really like badge on this album with, with deborah on there that's really cool a different yeah. take you know but it's it, it brings a newness to it but also you know you can see the similarities and hear the similarities but it just has a cool sound to it Mm -hmm. I, I love it, man. Uh, good stuff. Uh, and, and you're talking about Paul Rogers on there. So how did yeah. Paul Rogers come on board with this? Um, I think he just agreed to do it through uh, his management. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I was friends with Andy Fraser when he was still alive, and I did actually end up doing a tour, Andy's fi final UK tour. I was the support act. We did around 15 dates uh probably about 10 years ago now not long before he passed um so i i got to know andy pretty well and i got to know paul's kids jasmine and steve pretty well as well and have shared done shows alongside them um but i don't know paul i think probably through pete brown um you know just to get my management to call your management that kind of thing you know yeah, uh, right. but, but I mean, Paul, you know, again, a, a, an iconic singer um, who probably, I don't know wh when was free, like 70, 71 or something like that, 72. So, I mean, you know, that that little distance, I can imagine 
and I mean, even though Andy was playing as a teenager in the same bands that my dad came up through, you know, Cream became so successful just maybe two or three years before Free and all of that kind of stuff. So they they would have been influenced even just on the business side of like the template of how do you go and become a successful band. So I would imagine Paul would have been more than happy to contribute to it in that sense. And yeah, I mean, what an amazing guy, uh, amazing uh, talent. So, you know, we were lucky to have him. Awesome. You know, I was thinking about uh, when Cream started, you know, there was really like a blank canvas as far as a rock band with the blues, you know, and I'm thinking back, it hadn't been done before. Like your dad, and I'm listening to that bass on those songs, man. And I'm thinking, that's mind blowing. I mean, but it, it just sounds so just awesome, you know. But back then, there was nobody playing like that. So that had to be an experience, especially for you. You know, growing up, did you listen to that and go, I want to do that? How, how did you? How <laughs> what, what, what was your response to that? Wow. Well, I try not to sort of overthink it. I don't know. I mean, you know, I wasn't born when Cream was around, but obviously when right. I was growing up, I, I heard all the stuff, I heard all the music that they'd made and then all the subsequent music that my dad made through all the, his projects and different band lineups and all kinds of things. So, yeah, I mean, he was a unique force. He very much was an anomalous to the norm in so many ways. I, and, you know, again, I don't want to overthink that because like for me, I have to do two hours of yoga and uh, go to bed early to maintain myself. He was like a sort of different animal. Let's put it like that. Um, but we got on great and I, I loved him and I love him and I have so much respect for him. And yes, I mean, what can I say? I don't know that there's anything like that or ever will be anything like that. I mean, I, I can play and I played Cream's music a lot and played it with Ginger Baker's son, Kofi, quite a lot. Um, and so I understand about getting in the moment and jamming and really going places within that. And, and that's a very unique proposition. But I think, obviously, almost 60 years ago, when those guys actually came up with that, um, it is incredible to think about that. But then it's incredible to think about, you know, those uh you know little richard records or something you know just the things that happened and like a few or like in the context of my dad you know he was in bands and they had the little tie the little black tie and they were all sort of geeky looking and and pallid and then a few years later they had long hair and psychedelic flowing clothes and some you know don't eat the gray acid man you know all that stuff it was like a sh tiny short amount of time and i suppose you can't really separate it's in intrinsic to the times and the evolution of those times unfortunately it was very quickly subverted uh back into conformity but there was a moment there i think where people there was a little window of possibility of maybe there are different ways of seeing the world different ways of being and you know different ways of expressing ourselves through music you know, now it's also kind of, I mean, it's incredible music, but there was, there's also like, there's a conformity to creativity. And, and I think that in our times now, and I think that a lot of that has to do with uh, a spiritual conformity or an intellectual conformity, instead of just that kind of expansive, infinite sense of possibility and whether 
Jack, Eric and Ginger knew that consciously at the time or not. I don't know. Maybe they were just kids in the moment expressing themselves and they just happened to all kind of converge at a particular moment. Um, and I don't know. It's yeah, right. it's pretty amazing to look back at it though and listen to it. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, it is for you. And, and uh, But just listening back, talking about magic, magical moments and uh, you can't plan stuff like that. I think, like you said, some of those things just happen, which I don't think anything just happens. I think there's a reason for everything. Sure. I think people come together for for a reason and a purpose, and uh, and what a purpose. Uh, but uh, I know. No, I think it was that- a very important band. I mean, I I think I think it was a very important band as a kind of point in time, and I'm not sure that it's ever really been kind of explored before or since in that same way i mean it's very simple music on one level it's blues rock it's it's tonal it's it's harmonically very simple but within that the expressiveness within that is so deep uh you know so it's kind of i guess with jazz music there's also improvisation but but it's a particular kind of language that might be a bit harder for everybody to get into Whereas I think, you know, blues rock is something certainly in Europe and the US, you know, and Russia, actually, well, probably everywhere. I don't know. <laughs> you know, there's a thing. There's a thing about it that's universal, the, a feeling. Um, and I, you know, I think people get caught up in the kind of 12 bar concept of what blues is, you know, this kind of simple harmonic uh, one, four, five kind of uh, harmonic uh, framework but actually blues is in everything really I think it's a feeling and it can be in the most chromatic of music it can be in classical music it can be in all kinds of things it's just a a sensibility a sense of phrasing or a sense of touch or I don't know it's hard to put into words yeah exactly um well whenever you're you know y'all were doing this album and, and things were coming together was you know, I don't know, like the relationship, like Eric Clapton, was that ever an idea or did he ever say anything about that or how was that? But this particular project? Um, yeah, I think they did approach Eric and he declined, but I don't think it was because he felt it was a bad idea. I think he just uh, is doing his own thing. Um, Ginger had sort of pretty much retired by the po- by that point. And when we asked him, I think he felt appreciated you know i think it was nice for him to do it because i think he probably knew his life was winding down and he wasn't really going to be able to go out on the road so much anymore because of his health and um so that was a different situation but i think eric because he's was active and doing his own thing i'm not sure he felt it was the right i mean i can't speak for him but he did play on pete brown's new solo record that pete that i was involved with um that we made with pete just before pete passed so that should be out next year as well and and eric's uh playing on the title track for that which is uh, called the shadow club um so i think i mean eric agreed to do that and it was an original song so maybe he just shies away from going revisiting the cream stuff um too much because for his own personal reasons or whatever um i can understand that you know i mean he's he plays those songs every night with his own band anyway. So <laughs> sure. sure. I, I totally understand that. Yeah. Um, well, you know, and, and you said you weren't around when, when cream first came out and everything is like 
you're born after the fact, right? So, but as a kid, did you, were you like on a playground and somebody goes, my dad is better than your dad. And then you threw out the old, <laughs> my dad is Jack Bruce. Of <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> that's funny yeah probably that probably did happen but like it was the school i went to it's like my dad was a rock star and they go yo well, i don't care because my dad's rear admiral lieutenant like what because i you know i was at i went to like a boarding school and a lot of those kids were like uh raf kids or uh or army kids you know because their families were traveling their parents were stationed all over the world and so they needed some kind of stability in the same way that a rock star's kid needs some stability <laughs> so let's throw them in a school you know for their teenage years so um but yeah i mean i don't know i mean i i did when i was 10 i went to school for one year in london and the first day i was there this little blonde kid sort of bounced up to me and said my dad's in music. What does your dad do? And I said, my dad's in music. Anyway, it transpired that it was um, Stefan Chandler, whose dad was Chaz Chandler from the Animals, um, who discovered Jimi Hendrix and all blah, 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 and managed Slade and all kinds of bands over the years. But um, so I became really good friends with Steph uh, just because we met when we were 10. And it was like we kind of mirrored each other. We were these little kids who'd had this kind of bizarre background in music or our parents you know growing up around all of that stuff so so i mean even like synchronous events like that can happen it wasn't planned and then i used to go around to their house in uh, camden town when they still lived in camden town and got to know Chaz quite well and got a few little uh, anecdotes about mr hendrick so you know so uh, it was an it was interesting yeah so i mean anything can happen really um and also it's just what you're used to so I've never felt I was better than anyone else. I like, and sometimes I, I think growing up, sometimes I thought, oh, I wish my dad had been a plumber, you know, or something, <laughs> you know, I wish my dad was a bank manager. Then I could rebel against him. You know, it's like when your dad's a rock star, what, what, to, if the form of rebellion would be to become a bank manager, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll show you dog on it. The plumber. Yeah. I'll go fix the sink. I'll yeah. Show you. Yeah, well, don't mess with me. Uh, yeah, exactly. Talking about a small world, though, I mean, you're running into the <laughs> the kid who's dead. Yeah, you can't make that stuff up. I mean, and Steph's just the – I saw him a couple of years ago. We haven't we haven't um, seen each other that much in recent years, but I did see him a couple of years ago, and we keep uh, meaning to meet up. Um, and he's become very successful in the music business in a different way, managing – um edm like dance acts and running clubs and things like that so yeah he's had a lot of success too um so yes can't make any of it up i think just whatever happens happens you know you, it's an amazing life right you know yeah for real um well you you know growing up like you said with your dad i mean on your own ventures as far as far as playing music and things like that how did you use that for your benefit and I know you want to be a separate entity as far as going on your own and doing your own thing. Cause sometimes that that's good and bad because you're, you're under the shadow maybe of your dad. People are like trying to compare you and going, your music isn't as good as, as your dad, or you need to do this. How'd you decide, you know, musically for yourself, how you were going to approach music? Well, I mean, I think, I think I'm still in that process um, of discovering myself. 
Um, but I very much am my own person. But I think the challenge is how does that work in terms of business? How does that work in terms of the industry and the expectation of the industry? Because if if I go to an agent and they and they say, "Great, man, let's put a let's put a cream band together," you know, and then I, and then I can sell it to the venues. And I've done that a lot, and um, over the last sort of five, ten years, I've done that a lot, and it can be really successful. But then people abuse that. I've just I've been in a court case recently. Anyway, not important, but but um, so it's figuring out and having the strength and the resolve to go. No, actually, I'm going to put that to the side now. I've done that. I have honoured my father, and I will always honour my father. But I've got this body of work that's emerging as a songwriter. Um, that I really want to get out there, but it's being taken seriously, you know, and I think, I don't know, on the top of the, in the terms of the rock, in the rock music industry, I suppose we could talk about Sean Lennon or we could talk about Julian Lennon or, you know, and there's countless examples, but those guys will be at the pinnacle of the challenge of being the kid of somebody that famous. And so I, I'm, I would, and, you know, Julian sounded like his dad, um, so I think that was, and he was, and Julian's amazingly talented, you know, but I think that probably for both those guys was a real challenge. Like, how do I become accepted for being an individual rather than just being the son of somebody? Um, so, you know, there's a lot of demons to work through, but they, but you can work through it. And I think then it's just about finding the right people that support that process and go, yeah, you know, actually you do have something to say that's not just a cover version of one of your dad's songs so we because we think that's the easiest way to sell it um so anyway i'm still trying to figure it all out i've got a record coming out i'm in the middle of making a, a new record uh that be that'll be out next year and i'll be touring so so that'll be the next stage to to see if i can get that out on a proper level so that people can hear it awesome um, but at the same time i'm really proud of this record, you know, and I'd, I'd like this record to be a success too, because I think this music has become part of our our collective tradition. And I think it should remain that, you know, these have become kind of standard rock songs, you know, and, and of course, some of them were, were already and Cream were covering them. Some of those, you know, iconic, you know, uh, Sitting on Top of the World or Born Under a Bad Sun or whatever had already become classic songs. So um so yeah it's i'm figuring it all out as i go along <laughs> yeah well the the music that you're putting out now you know the, the cream uh tribute you know yeah. especially this generation is, is a musical generation they're probably uh going back and listening to some of the old stuff and it's probably a good time for them when they hear this to go i'll check out the old stuff you're bringing that back you know, bringing stuff back and bringing the music back and, and paying a tribute to it at the same time. Uh, it's got to be a big deal uh, for people when they hear it. And it, it's got to put it in the spotlight, you know, so that probably helps out a lot whenever there's such an awesome band like Cream and you're bringing it back. That's got to be really cool. Right. It's great. And all the connections with the people, you know, that were involved with, with many of the people that were involved in the project. So I think it's really nice. And I think the way we approached it that we weren't you know those original recordings are so iconic and my dad my dad's voice is such a unique thing and as you said before the bass playing but the guitar playing and the drumming the whole thing was it's there's no point in trying to compete with that 
So we just took a different approach in the same way that uh, there have been countless versions of all, all great songs over the years of whichever band or whatever. There's just so many different ways of approaching something. We have a, a great um, thing here in the UK. It's called the, the um, uh, what's it called? The um, Great Britain ukulele oh the ukulele orchestra of great britain i think it's called and it's so it's like 20 ukulele players and they'll do like a nirvana song or whatever and i think it's great you know you can just arrange something in so many different ways and it just keeps it alive and it shines as you say it shines fresh light on it gives it a fresh perspective and um and yeah i mean the shows that i've done playing cream's music over the years it's great when you have like a 75 year old guy turning up. Yeah, I was at, I was at the wind, you know, I was at Madison Square Garden or I was at the Winterland in 1968 or whatever they'll say. Here's the original poster. And here's my grandson, you know, who's 12 and he really digs it too. And so, you know, it, it is in the same way that, you know, uh, Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, Stravinsky, you know, the, the tradition is important, as, but at the same time, we must innovate too. So it's just allow, allowing things to be what they are, keeping it all together, al allowing us to develop and evolve. Because I think we also can be in the danger of be being too conservative. Um, and so, you know, opera houses or, are always doing Puccini or Rossini, and they're not investing necessarily in new work as much as they could. And I think it's the same. We have the same problem right now and it's economics you know we have a, a problem with how do how do new bands become successful when there's so much you know tribute there's a whole tribute scene that takes all the gigs and the audiences support that rather than going oh let's check out something new so we have to find that balance of tradition and innovation and you know at the moment but i mean that's just indicative of the, what the world is going through right now you know the world is going through an interesting time let's put it like oh. that like Sorry. you know i mean if you can't feed your kids it's not likely you're going to buy a a 40 dollar ticket to go and see a, a a new band that's coming through town right you're going to go actually i need to feed my kids first so so you know we need we need some fundamental change in this world you know um which i hope will come because we're a little kind of like that at the moment or like that we need to kind of come back to that somehow i totally agree um, well, would you say, you know, the music industry's changed. There's so many things that are different now. You know, you're streaming songs. It's not like people go out and buy albums like they used to. Uh, do you think that Cream, if they just came out today, would they have made it the same way? Or how would it have worked, do you think? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, um, I have thought about that before. Um, I mean, it was in the UK scene was much, much smaller then, obviously, um, but it was still very competitive. I mean, it, I, I was watching some stuff um, like <clears throat> Liverpool bands at the time of the Beatles, and there were loads of them, you know, and they were all really good. And then somehow the Beatles kind of managed to break through. Of course, I love the Beatles. I think they're incredible. But but there were a lot of great bands. And so even back then in the early 60s, there was a competitive element. And it was about, you know, connecting with the right record label, getting the right promotion, a lot of luck. Um, so, but, you know, the 
art rhythm and the R&B rhythm and blues early 60s scene that my dad and Ginger and Eric came through. So bands like Alexis Corner, Blues Incorporated and John Mayo and, you know, all of those early bands, I guess, Moody Blues came through in a similar way. The same little clubs, the Ealing Club, uh, the Marquee, all of those things. So there was a little scene and they it was like they were gestating. And then in the early 60s, and then they moved to sort of 50, sorry, 65, 66. And, the, and then the kind of thing exploded and Hendrix came over. And But would that happen now? I don't know. You know, we've got Ed Sheeran. We've got Taylor Swift. We've got, uh, you know, I mean, it's a different thing, isn't it? It's a, it's, I mean, I'm talking right now. I'm talking to social media companies. I'm working with, um, the more conventional uh, publicists, you know, uh, that, you know, that set what might set something up with someone like yourself. And we have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and uh, with humans doing it. Right. But I mean, there's also all of this social media stuff, this artificial intelligence, it's all taking over with how does, how do things um, get in front of people? And um but you know, there's just so much now. There's just so much, and and now AI is going to you know um, create infinite content. And so, how do you? What is how? What is the competition element? You know, competition is healthy in the sense that it breeds um, quality because you're competing. You're going, oh, that guy did that. Wow, his voice is awesome. I better practice harder. Or, wow, that guitar player. I I never thought of bending a note like that so i maybe i'll go practice like competition is part of evolution um but what happens when ai takes over and writes an infinite number you know write an infinite write write record mix and release an infinite number of songs in the style of cream with jack bruce on ba on bass and vocals eric clapton in in the style of eric like you can just program it to do it and it'll do it now. Will it be as good? I, I guess we'll find out, right? I mean, it's right. like um, it's like um, you know the the photographs that AI can generate. They can generate these photos of like gorgeous men and women. They look perfect, but they've all got eight or nine fingers, you know. So they kind of so like the AI can't get the fingers and the toes right, but they can get the faces. Like, wow, you're really hot, you know. This girl, like, I'm. I'm looking wow you're like the most beautiful girl i've ever seen but you've got nine fingers you know <laughs> and you've got 47 teeth all like it's just weird it hasn't quite figured it out but once it does figure it out i don't know and so you know to answer your question in that sense like we're in a different time and what is what is creativity you know it's not it's so beautiful to hear like a, some guys get in a room with a, one microphone and just play some real, real instruments um, in that sense. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess we're going to find out pretty soon. We're already finding out um, the implications of all that. Maybe it just decentralizes everything. Well, but I'm not if, sure. If somebody, though, released a song, though, like tomorrow, and it it was cream if cream came out with an album and they released it and it was your dad singing and playing it sounded really cool but how would you feel would that would you be mad or would you be like that's interesting or how would you take that 
Well, I mean, the first thing is like, you know, the, it's whether you can actually access things. Who gets to hear what? What? How do you know what's coming out? Like, it, it, you know, the idea was sold a long time ago now. Okay, let's decentralize the music industry. Before it was, here's these major labels and they're kind of fascists but they're they're nice fascists they decide what will be released into the marketplace um and if they don't feel it's worth it or good enough or you're not you're not good enough looking or you're too old or whatever you know or whatever it, their reasons or it's not hip or it's not aligned with what the they think the public expect then it doesn't see the light of day but now but then this idea was sold that everybody can do anything and just put it out on the internet and then and then they'll be famous but that doesn't work either because now you have 600 million things coming out every day i i exaggerate a bit but you have so much content coming out and it's sort of it's not about quality anymore like if even if it's there's something incredible that comes out will people even know will they even care do they even care that someone spent 30 years practicing their voice or fight or finding a unique approach to crafting something i don't think people even care you know it's yeah. all it's it's so hard to figure that stuff out and i think as an a true artist you know there are different things there are people that create a commodity you know let's get 10 people in a room and figure out what will sell because that already sold so let's let's mold it around this thing that already exists because that sold 12 million so we know that if we make it like that but slightly different but is that art that's a different process but i guess everybody's doing that to some degree we're all stealing creatively we're all we're all modeling ourselves on our influences but yeah you know, these are the questions that I think about all the time and actually what I'm trying to write about on this this new record of mine because because we are at this crossroads. You know, what is it? What does it even mean to be a human being? You know, that's where we're, we're reaching this point. It used to mean the beauty of relationship with other people, you know, kindness, the simple things in life, you know, sharing honor, dignity, respect, boundaries. But I don't know what, whether those things even mean anything anymore, you know, I, it's all been kind of the whole, the bottom is being wiped out of all of that stuff. I don't know. Well, it's, you know, I was thinking about when you're talking about, you know, if it's about money, you know, if, if there's some guy that's controlling everything, Hey, this song here, I don't care if it's AI, it makes money. Boom. There you go. I don't care if it's somebody, you know, over here that worked for years and they play, but I think it depends on the listener. I think the listener, you know, like for me, I hope hopefully there's a lot more people like me, not just saying that in a selfish way. I'm just saying because what I'm thinking and what I'm hearing is I think about your dad. I think about somebody that learned how to play and, and just did an amazing job and just paved the way for so many people, not some computer that somebody mashed a button. And it's not real. There's no human element to it. And there's nothing breathing. People like your dad, they live, breathe, had good days, bad days, went through this, went through that, wrote about it, sang about it, played about it, had feeling. People went to school and survived by his songs that they heard. You know what I'm saying? They lived the life. They appreciated the music. Music is about a human 
I mean, being real and appreciating one another, like you were talking about the relationship. Right. If you don't have a relationship, why would I, I wouldn't listen. I probably wouldn't listen to any AI for that reason. It might be beautiful, but if it doesn't have that human element, I, I can't share emotions with a robot. I share emotions with a person. But the problem is, we might not even know anymore what we're getting, you know, and that's it. I mean, it's like nutrition, you know, we're, we're, we're told something's organic, but actually it's grown in a, a Petri dish, but it might be organic because it's got a stamp of being organic or something, but it's still grown in this metal dish with soil. It's not grown in, in the real soil. It's grown in a dish with soil. So, it, but they can call it organic. So they call it organic. And then you go to Whole Foods or whoever, and they say, yeah, this is organic because they're, you know, their network of sales makes that okay to say that, right? So, I mean, everything becomes denatured, 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 denatured. Then everyone's getting sick by the age of 40, 50, 60. They're, they're all in hospital spending all the money they made in their whole life back to try and live another 10, 20 years with this, with a, with a terrible kind of quality of life, you know, and there's, and there's a cycle. Now, obviously I'm being negative because the positive side is that I think a huge swathes of people are waking up to the implications of how we have, where we've allowed ourselves to go to become de-spiritualized, to kind of get fall out of touch with however we want to frame it with the divine aspect of ourselves, with the divine aspect of experience. So, you know, we, as humans, we can't, we, there's only so long we can get away with it without going, wait, wait a minute, what the hell's going on here? We, we need to, we need to reassess this but the problem is is there something now on the horizon which is not human anymore it's like transhumanism it's post-humanism it's like humans we don't need those guys with their issues and their anxieties and their neuroses maybe if we kind of get rid of them we could just have more of an automated world and just have like a small amount of people like maybe we'll just kill off like the majority of the planet and then i mean i'm not saying that there's a conscious effort necessarily to do that although some conspiracy theories would argue that stuff like that's going on it doesn't really matter but but it just feels like we're kind of we're on this precipice where where we could actually create through technology something that we're not able to control you know and then which we're already doing you know it's it's a nice idea to say yeah i really love real music but what if through algorithms and through really clever technology it was actually you actually wouldn't ever hear it again you know you wouldn't you wouldn't have the opportunity to hear that stuff and then the successive generations grow up and they they're only allowed to hear things and then they don't know what they're missing they essentially grow into into a world where they wouldn't even relate to that because they they're not accustomed to it in a strange sort of way like people that have never heard you know anything from cl the classical music the western classical music tradition or indian music or or african music or what and they're like what's this we don't know or like music with the fragility of what it is to be human in it with with right. mistakes or or you know those human elements it's not all pitch corrected maybe there's a, a, a slight pitchiness to a, a a phrase or something and that's just what it was like to be a human being you know uh but no let's get rid of that let's we need to we need to put it all through auto-tune <laughs> oh you know 
whoever's in control. I mean, you know, that's their plan. I mean, it's kind of scary. It's kind of that way with history too. You know, you could erase revisionism. Yeah. Right. And just start all over and say, no, that didn't happen. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. But I'm just saying there's a lot of stuff that could happen and the, the future generations would mess out all because somebody was really greedy or selfish. And my hope is that never happens. That's yeah, I mean, we... pl- pluralism is a great word. Um, you know, th- we are capable, humans are capable of living in a pluralistic society, which means we can have things there that we don't agree with, that it's like, that's cool, man. If you want to believe that, as long as you don't cross over and it, it doesn't affect me, like, let's all live in harmony. We can have different religions. We can have different ideas, different races, even though... There's only the human race, in my opinion, but but we can if we want to divide it all up and say there are differences, let's do that. Let's let people do that. Like pluralistic living is where it's at. And it's like, yeah, man, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. As long as I don't hurt you, you don't hurt me. That's cool. But we don't we're living in a world where we're trying to shut everybody down. Everyone's got to take sides. And and if you're on the wrong side, you get canceled out and. It's just crazy. It's like a mental illness, basically, of not of the inability to be okay with other people being different. And, you know, just allowing that uh, just a a more just allowance of everything just, you know, so that's my feeling at the moment on this planet is like, we've all got to just chill out a bit, you know, just let's all chill out and realize that there's enough space, there's infinite capacity for everything, really, there's infinite resources. And, you know, let's stop, let's stop hoarding it all. Let's just allow everybody to have their own thing. You know, that's sure. my, that's my solution to all problems. It, it has been spoken. Hey, <laughs> and now you're going to go and run for, you know, prime minister or something. Hey, but, uh, <laughs> I doubt say, it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they won't well, you know, you. <laughs> they won't. Makes sense. Well, to summarize this whole conversation though, but you know, uh, music though, and I believe this music is what's going to prevent or at least slow down the process. Uh, when people understand the realness of music, the people behind the music. And when you're bringing music from the past, from, you know, like your dad's music to today and people are reliving their experiences, the granddads with the 12 year old kids are bringing that to them. So today they're hearing music that was from, you know, 60 years ago, 50 something years ago, and they're experiencing it maybe for the first time. You're continuing that. So then one day that kid goes, this is real music. This is good. Here you go. And when you carry that, if you carry that idea from this generation to that generation, if you don't erase all that, you don't erase the good, you don't erase the bad. You keep the experiences because that's what music is all about, all the life and experiences that you go through. And I think it's a good thing when you bring in back music and paying tribute to people that have done an amazing job. It's going to keep it going. And that's why I'm glad yeah. that you're doing this project, this new well, trip. Thank you. And I, I, and I think especially in America, but over here in, in Europe, too, there is there's a healthy live music scene of what you're talking about, people playing music together in the real uh real humans doing that interacting and um but it's 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 hit by economics it's struggling but it's still there and and i think you're right i think we do have a responsibility to keep it all moving 
having said that there's nothing wrong with technology i mean an, an electric guitar it's technology right i mean it's not we're not uh going ah you know i clap my hands you know that's it i'm not allowed I'm, it's not like the kind of fundamentalist approach to like oh music's music itself is wrong you know because right. it's you know because it's you know you're expressing something outside of like complete divinity but i no i mean everything is artificial intelligence everything is technology you know a, a pencil and a paper is technology you know so so it would be silly to dismiss it entirely i think it's just finding a balance and as you say keeping keeping the tradition going and um and i think you know that's part of human nature i think we're doing that anyway but it is concerning this whole kind of uh, internet thing, uh, but it's also great. It's interesting to think that somebody, some overlord in the shadows behind the curtain, could have a switch and they could go, "Screw you guys, click," and the whole <laughs> thing would switch off, and everybody would go, "Wait a minute, what? What am I going to? My phone what is. I, do? I don't know what to do with my hands." <laughs> it, you know, it's funny. I mean, and I thought about it. You know. The the generation, uh, the kids today. You know, I, I feel like I'm getting old when I'm saying the kids today. No, but <laughs> if you have a phone and you're like, and you're so dependent on that phone, like you said, somebody takes it away, you know what to do because you live without a phone. For you know, like me, you know, you grew up without this little device. You had to, used to yeah, do I, this. I've, I've seen both sides of it, yeah, for sure. But but you but you understand. You know what to do. You know, you, you could survive, but. When you're dependent on these things, like you said, some guy in a, turns it off, and I, that might be the plans to, to become dependent. You know, I think the safe thing is, hey, use this stuff to help you to make things better, but don't forget where you come from. Don't forget and understand what it's all about, just in case somebody pulls a switch. <laughs> because, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if I was a clinical psychologist, which I'm not, but, you know, a, a clinical psychologist could probably explain, okay, it's a, it, you get, it's part of the reward system that humans use. So, you know, they get something at the phone, you know, you get likes on Facebook or, or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, X, formerly known as Twitter. And, um, you know, then you would actually, it's somehow it kind of, it's a dopamine hit, you know, and so it's an addiction, it becomes addictive. And then you, and like all addictions, we can rationalize them very easily. You know, oh man, I'm going to have that fourth cup of coffee, but it's cool, man. I mean, at least I'm not smoking crack, you know, whatever it is that like how you kind of justify your, you know, actually maybe one cup of coffee is okay, but four, you know, and you're kind of getting a bit uptight there. You're holding your breath and you're like getting a bit aggressive. Like, what are you looking at? Whatever it is, I don't know. You know, so like we can rationalize anything. The mind, the human mind is kind of interesting and, and it, it can work in the relative field of experience. It can work in play tricks on us and on all of that kind of stuff. So so it's interesting. And yeah, you know, I think maybe we should have some kind of uh, guidelines of like, OK, only use your phone for 30 minutes a day and then switch it off and go hug a tree or go to the church or go to the mosque or or meditate or do yoga or go for a run or like talk to your family or your friends or whatever it is like have a balanced life um and you know but then at the moment it's funny sometimes you see people of a certain generation on actually any generation to be honest and they're all sitting at the table and they're all on their phones messaging each other so like 
guys like there looking at you, but you're messaging, hey man, how's it going? The guy's like, there, he's going, message. yeah, it's going great, man. What are you up to? Yeah, I'm texting you. I'm sitting opposite you texting you. <laughs> it's like we've got to that point. You know, so. Well, have you thought about this? I thought about this too, you know, talking about the, the guy in the shadows with the switch, you know, in this whole social media thing. And I'm guilty too, because I'll be like, why didn't he like my post? You know, or something stupid like <laughs> yeah, that. Is that something wrong? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, my life all depends on if they like my, my photo of cheese or something. But but, yeah. but I, speaking of cheese, you know, you, you're talking about, you know, they do these little studies of mice. Let's see if the mice, if he goes through the maze and puts a bell and will if he gets the cheese. Is there somebody in the factory watching us on Facebook going, let's see this little rodent if he'll. Yeah, he, it could be. The comment, and if you understand that the conditioning and that whole thing, there's somebody in a lab somewhere laughing at us because we're well, falling. Well, there is. I mean, I, fortunately or unfortunately, you know, I'm not saying anything that people can't research, but you know, all of the social media companies are in partnership with the three-digit agencies. Let's put it like that. So, of course, it's data mining, um, and they are to whatever degree keeping tabs on. Uh, the social forces that are unfolding and you know and I think hey if you're talking about terrorism or people that are plotting to do bad things to people I think it's important that we do keep tabs on what's going on because we don't want to we don't want to people to incite violence we don't want we want to to have a, a a nice world you know as much as possible we have too much violence already so I mean from that perspective I think it's important to at least uh, follow trends and have rules and guidelines um, on social media, but there shouldn't we shouldn't restrict freedom of speech either, and that's the problem, right? I mean, the problem with freedom of speech is it's called freedom of speech, <laughs> so you can't restrict it. If somebody wants to have an opinion that you don't like, you can't say, "Well, you're not allowed to have that opinion," or "You're not allowed to express that opinion." So we, you know, and I, obviously with Elon Musk buying. Twitter and turning it into X, we we're seeing that unfold. We're seeing a, that particular platform go back to a lot of crazy stuff, you know. But there you go. How do we? How do we restrict um, freedom of speech? Then it isn't freedom of speech anymore. I mean, but at the same time, hate speech should not be tolerated. But there's a there's a it's a it's a subtle thing, isn't it? You know. Yeah, I don't really have the answer. Um, before we had social media, what did we have? We had the we'd go to, we'd go to the pub, or you guys would go to the bar, and you'd have a few drinks and argue about something, or you'd argue with your families, or you go right, let's go out back and let's you know sort this out, or whatever. I don't know. Or we'd have wars, or we right. um, we still have wars, unfortunately. But but now we have social media, so everyone's got an opinion. You know, everyone thinks they have an opinion. But it's predictable to to a large, pretty much ninety nine point nine nine percent. You can predict everything um, because human behavior is predictable. Uh, human language is predictable, and then a tiny, tiny percentage is innovative and different and and uh, um, outliers, as they call them. So yeah, I mean. That's what's going on. They're watching us for sure, you know, uh, on whatever level. But I don't. I'm not sure that me and you are important enough <laughs> to like. Oh no, they're coming to take me away. I don't because I'm I'm just a, a musician guy, you know. 
I mean, I might say something a little controversial in a song, but, you know, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. You know, I'm just no. trying to express myself. But yes, I mean, we're right in the middle of all this stuff, aren't we? Like, I guess we're all figuring it out. And yes, if the shadowy cabal who have got their finger on the switch um, have an agenda, I'm sure they do because we've all got an agenda, right? You know, right. Just, degree so you know I, I think it's important not to just think oh this is all it's all random of course you know a, a corporation is going to have an agenda to make money and um to shape subtly or otherwise to shape public opinion in the direction of monetization um and conformity to ideas that that keep those social forces within a you know a, a capitalist or socialist or whatever the society is going to be, you know, there are, we've known for hundreds of, well, certainly for over a hundred years now, we've known how to, how to control people, control populations. We, we used to do it through religion. Uh, now we do it through perhaps more surreptitious means. <laughs> I don't know, but you know, this is all the stuff that's interesting as an artist to try and like navigate and um, try and express on some level, you know, or, like you know, I was... Pete Brown did with, uh, you know, um, yeah, my dad with uh, the song "Politician." You know, it's a very simple way, to it, but it's a great lyric in that sense of, um, you know, uh, looking at the way politicians can be. You know, so. Or you know, talking about the uh, <laughs> the the mouse and the cheese. You know, I, I think the best thing to do comparing that to social media or anybody that's trying to control you, be that mouse. And let them think that you're going this way after the cheese. We've studied him, you know, for 20 years, and he's going to go this way. Then he's going to climb this, and he's going to ring the bell. <laughs> when you get there, don't ring the bell. Go that way, and just yeah. freak them all out. Just so do that with anything that you do in life. Prove them wrong. Go that way. They want you to do this. Just pretend you're going along with it, and then suddenly go that way. Yes. Well, now I, I now like I am. Um, I write poem. My friend, me and my friend, write things on Facebook occasionally, and we're a bit sort of controversial or naughty. Nothing bad, but but he wrote something the other day, and I just wrote a poem. But I kind of the inference of the poem, if anybody read it, would kind of yeah, okay, he knows what he's talking about, but he's not coming out and saying it. <laughs> that, that is the key, I think, is giving people something but not giving them everything but look, never tell anybody your whole story because let them question because if you do they know everything about you they can use that against you right but if they if you're this mysterious guy that they don't know everything about you might just pull out you know but it's that thing you know we know human nature on an even on an energetic level let's put it like that you know, if I'm if I am thinking something negative about somebody else while talking to them, even if I'm not saying it, they're going to pick up on on that on yeah. some part of their being because you know language, verbal verbalization is only a tiny percentage of of communication. And so, if I'm holding my holding my breath and I'm like aggressive, but I'm going hi, it's nice to meet you, <laughs> it's like or or like no, I totally agree with you, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, right. the, again, going back to this pluralist idea, like, like the, everyone's kind of trying to be right. And so, and that just creates more like karmic problems, it, more of this cause and effect, you know, I mean, you obviously it's so overt in your country at the moment with the left-right paradigm. 
Um, so, you know, like, how do you, how do you resolve that? You know, you resolve it by not starting it in the first place. Like say, Hey, you know, I'm not even, I'm not even going to go there. And, and so, and it allows it, the energy to dissipate. And then there, then there's perhaps a much more authentic, much more realistic way of experiencing things because you're not coming at something with a preconceived agenda, which then creates a, a, a sense in the body and a sense in the breath and a sense in the voice. And then, and we're all guilty of this, right? I mean, we're all capable of coming at whatever it is, a, a family transaction or um, interaction or a, or a political view or, or whatever it is, you know? And so it's that softness come at things with a humility and then it's much more likely that we're going to start one by one you know it's that pay it forward concept like just pay it forward pay a good feeling forward a good feeling a good feeling and then bit by bit hopefully we de-escalate this kind of anger that's in the atmosphere i mean what's going on in israel right now all of that stuff it's just crazy you know it's crazy it's just like we know we don't you know ukraine and russia you know it's just all over the world i just it's so sad to me that it's and so unnecessary you know um and it's both sides there's no right or wrong in any of this that's the, and the sooner we can admit that the sooner we're able to change it you know stop acting like you're right and someone else is wrong because it's just not realistic doesn't the world isn't like reality this is not based on that idea it's that's a you're, that's an imposition on reality. Reality is never right and wrong. It's not like sure. that. So. I think drawing the line, you know, when people talk about the left and the right, when somebody says, this is right, this is left, you may not agree with everything on the right, but because that's your side, you're going to go, we're going to, we're on teams, you know, you, you can't be in the middle these days, you know. You got. It's also swapped around because the neoliberal see? concept in America is now like it's, the more right wing. And the right wing is more like power to the people, man. You know, it's like, it's, it's like, so it's all crazy. the paradigms have shifted and they don't mean anything. You know? And it don't so. even like you, like you just said, it's like, if, if that's your side, your, your side switch teams and you don't even realize. So why even have sides? Why not just say, we've all agreed that this is wrong. I know one thing, war never solves anything. Can we all agree on that? Yes, we can. Well, let's stop it. Yeah. War is, war is this, war is that's money. The, no, it's the guys in the, in the, it's a guy in the corner with that switch over there. It's it's the it's guy forever in 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 American terms. There was a term that was defined defined. It's called the forever war. So you know, it's this idea that we go in and you know the British are along with you guys. It's not we're not separate from this concept. It's like let's go in and save the world. But what we're really doing is we're perpetu perpetuating war for profit. And, you know, regime change for profit. You know, I don't want to go too far into this because I don't, it's not my specialism, but but just as, as a vibe, as a gut feeling, it's like, this is not, you know, what about profiting from peace, you know, pro profiting from good things instead of bad things. And I think the man with the switch could learn from that. It doesn't, they, they actually would make more by just taking a like we've done enough war now let's put that away come on put that to the annals of history let's put that to the side now like how can we profit from great good things like let's build some peace palaces you know where we could all congregate and like be peaceful 
you know, mm-hmm. let's um, let's let's build bridges and respect from different cultures. Let's honor. Let's let's build institutions, global inst- If we're going to have globalism, let's build global institutions that house the historical evidence of culture, so that where as we move into globalism, we don't lose the cultural aspects. We we and we understand the basis of religions, the diversity of religions, how did they spring up in the different areas of the planet? Why did they spring up when there is only one divine principle, whether you call that God or Yahweh or Muhammad or Jesus or the Buddha or, or, you know, the quantum field or, you know, it's all, you know, uh, pure consciousness. Um, You know, um, it is all, or samadhi in the Indian time. Like, it's all the same thing, different cultural expressions of the same thing. Why are we killing each other over whose God is better than the other God or or whose money is better than the other? Like, it's all so archaic and childlike, you know, it's ridiculous. And it could be, it could be switched off and changed like that. Bang. Just everyone go, no more. That's and just stop. Just stop. Just put the guns down, everyone from every side, put the guns down. Let's all calm down. Let's realize that we share this planet. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm not anti-trans. I don't, I think there's biological sex. I think there's men and women. But if somebody identifies as, as trans in their sexuality, let them do that. Let them do it. Don't say that's wrong because I'm not that other person. Let them do that. If you don't feel that, that's okay. So let's not create anger and aggression about that. Let's let them, each person, decide, and then, and then we can have a discussion about it. We can have a discussion about what might be real and what might be more of a mental health issue. And then we can kind of work like, why are people? Why is there mental health problems? Like, what are we? Is it because of the disconnection to our spirit, to the deepest part of ourselves? You know, and perhaps I think that might be a large part of it. So let's get back to what that is, you know, uh, whether it's whatever religion or spiritual tradition, um, how, what is that all about? You know, and what is economics? You know, can we have a world where economics is secondary to mental health and secondary to um, everybody having a basic standard of living, you know, not, and, but also have a free market economy with with competition, but not a predatory capitalistic type of economy that has incredible an underbelly of incredible losers. Maybe less than in historically socialist governments have had, but but you know, let's figure it out. Let's talk it through. Let's find the solutions that aren't. Does, oh, you're a bloody commie, red. Let's kill you. Well, you're a fascist or you're like forget all these like things and just let's calm down and figure it out you know but i mean maybe i'm an idealist (laughs) i don't know maybe maybe that's what changes everything when when people realize they're on the same page i think it's about realizing you're not the enemy i'm not the enemy we're not trying to is inside the enemy is internal uh struggle you know well, if you if you allow somebody to offend you, that's on that's on you. But if you know what I'm saying, if you if you try to approach somebody 
peacefully, regardless of what they are doing. If you have hate in your heart, you're already, you know, have something uh, to fight with, you know, but if you come at somebody with understanding, regardless of what they do, that's the key. And I think that, you know, all this kind of just summarizes the idea of going back to a place. Hey, what late sixties, you know, the hippies, maybe I'm a modern day hippie, but they were jamming to cream and there were wars, but they kind of realized some things that maybe we kind of have forgotten about. And that's the war is stupid and we need to get along regardless of what, uh, we just get in for the moment. I think that's, you know, if we talk about Cream's music specifically, I think one of the lessons I've learned from it is that it is a kind of vehicle to get in the moment, to transcend all the duality and all the thinking and all the issues and the problems and just like, yeah, oh, I really feel this is this is moving me and I'm in the moment. And when you play that music, you get in the the greatest feeling is when you lose yourself. It's like a Zen state. You kind of lose the sense of self and you're just expressing in the moment. And again, it's like the humility in that kind of experience. There's a power in that experience, but it's also humility because you're the agenda disappears, the the trying to do or be something or everything that all just evaporates. And then there's just what's happening and that's the true essence of ourselves. And I think, as you say, we're probably both modern day hippies in that sense. Like, like that is the teacher, whether we call it God or whether we call it the quantum field of in quantum mechanics, there is a field of experience that is beyond thought that where all possibilities coexist, you know, and we, we've discovered it in science now. We've discovered God in the science in that sense. We've discovered this quantum level of reality. It's unmanifest. It's before the physical universe, but it's it's experiential. And so somebody in a particular tradition deep in prayer will touch down into that and then get this incredible feeling of like support and nourishment from that. And it's the same with the Indian meditation traditions. I'm sure it's the same with Islam, although I haven't experienced that, but but all of these things are touching on that spirit, that ground state, and music can do that too. We can, it can bring us into that sacred space where everything starts to make sense. We 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 stop the thinking falls away, and all the kind of you know conflicts in the thinking starts to fall away, and we're like, oh, yeah, man, oh, great, you know, all right. That's so, right. That's why music wins every time because it's not about all this. You know, extracurricular madness. Yeah. It's about being happy and enjoying now and listening to music. Um, or you were talking about the uh, there's like a documentary. What's going on as far as this album? What, what have you got to promote it? And, and uh, it's coming out. So November third, it's coming out. Um, and I think the documentary will be streaming. Um, it'll be out by then it might i've heard it might come out a little bit before but i'm not exactly sure but that'll be there'll be a, a um i'm sure there'll be websites you can just type in um heavenly cream hopefully that'll come up uh but it's you know quarter valley records it'll it's already the singles already on spotify and all, all of those things and youtube etc um they haven't actually sent me a link so i can't tell you but but I'm sure that, that it'll be out on the intranet 
Um, and yeah, I guess you can you'll be able to stream the documentary on various different streaming channels. Um, and, I, and it's a full length thing. Um, I'm sure you can buy it. And the the actual record is um, that's going to be on vinyl. It's going to be on CD, I believe. It's going to be download. So for the, for you uh, audiophiles out there, you can kind of get the full on vinyl package. And um, so uh, so I'm sure it's going to be great. Yeah, I've been listening to. I, I got to listen to the songs, but yeah. um, don't tell nobody. No, but. And they're amazing, of course. Amazing. Uh, great job on, on those songs. And I know you're happy with the finished product and everything. So, uh, yeah. Well, Rob Cass is a great producer and I think uh, it's a great mix engineer. So, so um, you know, I've, I always uh, trust that he'll do a great job with the few things that I've been involved with him. Um, and yeah. So uh, it was just great to be involved. Great, great honor to hang out with all those guys. And, um, and I, you know, we're all hoping it gets out there and people love it, you know, and then, uh, and that's it. And then next year I'll be making my, bringing my own record out. And, uh, but that's like next year. So. But but this is the introduction. So people go, hey, tribute to your dad and all those guys that were a part of it. And then yes. it ushers in your music and everybody's happy. And then- I hope so, know. yeah, it's gonna be, it's very different from, from, from this record, but that's, that's okay. I, it's it's what you're all about though hey, I'm, I'm i'm eager to hear that too i want to check that out whenever it comes out but well, I'll, I'll send you it and we maybe we can chat again if you're up for it so. hey man hey i could talk all day but i'm just saying i know you got other things to do but uh but th this was a great conversation i appreciate you talking with me today but i'm gonna be you know letting everybody know about the new album and everything and uh, i appreciate you well thanks for your time yeah really really good to connect and um chat again soon all right man thanks for tuning in everybody be sure to check out malcolm bruce and the guys on the tribute to cream called heavenly cream going to be released on november 3rd and until next time everybody whatever you do keep the music real <laughs>